0: You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
1: Hello, welcome to the Longform Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. Uh, I'm here with just one co-host, Evan Ratliff. Hello, sir. Aaron's on the road. Aaron is in San Francisco. He is taping an interview right now. Oh, that's exciting to hear. This is also, Max, this is my favorite kind of Introduction to the podcast. It's the one in which I literally do not know the guest. Max, who's the guest? Uh, The guest is Hannah Jaffe-Walt. She is a uh, producer at This American Life. That's a good one. And uh, Hannah did a story last week uh, called Five Women and uh, I listened to it and I was on the subway and uh, I finished listening to it and then I immediately sent her an email and asked her to come on the podcast and then I listened to it again and uh, then I listened to it a third time it is definitely the most compelling thing I have heard in 2018 have you listened to this do you know anything about it I I know about it but I have not yet listened to it so it's um, it's the story of five women all of whom uh, in one way or another were connected to Don Hazen who was the executive editor At Alternet, he stepped down in December after uh, a series of reports around his sexual harassment. He came up in a previous episode of ours with Liliana Segura. Right. And what's so incredible about this piece that Hana did is it's really not a story about him at all. It's about these five women and every act in the story is about uh, from a different woman's perspective. So there's not kind of one protagonist. There are several, um, I'm going to name them here. Cause we kind of jumped through them in the interview a little bit. There's, uh, Deanna who had, uh, an affair with Don and then was harassed, uh, Anasia, Tana, Kristen and Vivian. And Vivian is his partner who found out about the affair and the harassment, uh, along with everybody else. And the amazing thing about what Hanna did is instead of focusing exclusively on their relationships with Don, she starts each of their stories in their own kind of history with men. So they often start in their childhood or in Vivian's case, the whole episode opens with her thinking about like an early workplace experience from decades ago. And it's just, it's a real like feet of structure and narrative, and also uh, I found it very, very powerful. It sounds like everyone should pause this and go listen to that episode, which I also am now going to do. Uh, it was on my list, but now it has bumped 25 places up my list. Um, did you get to talk about other This American Life stories? No, we. I should have probably, but I was just so <laughs> eager to talk to her about this and how she did it that um, we just spent the whole hour talking about that. And, uh, we'll have her back on at some point and we'll go through the whole like Joffie Walt, uh, you know, greatest hits. But, um, I really just wanted to talk to her about how she did this and how she thought about it. And there were all kinds of, uh, reporting and structural challenges and, uh, you know, it just blew me away. All right. I'm excited to hear this. Sponsors this week, Max? Yeah. You know what else you're excited about? Tell me Slinging email newsletters (laughs) That's true (laughs) And uh, if you want to do that, I suggest doing it with MailChimp It's the easiest way to send an email newsletter And they also have uh, a bunch of new features Which we're very excited about Landing pages, marketing automation All kinds of beautiful, easy to use things at MailChimp Thanks to them for sponsoring the show I've heard about those You know who I heard about those from? (laughs) Aaron Lammer Where are you Aaron? We miss you Now here's Max with Hannah Jaffe Walt. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Max. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing okay.
1: I'm very excited to talk to you about this story that you did for This American Life. I basically wrote you immediately after listening to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had uh, many, many questions about how you did it. And I'm going to ask you all of them. That's I'm my, ready. That's my big plan. Great. Um, but I was wondering if we could start maybe with you summarizing this hour of radio.
2: Oh, sure. It's a show called Five Women. It looks at five women who have connections to or worked for the same person. And this is a person who, in the last few months, has had a news story about him and people accusing him of sexual harassment in the workplace. And so it's kind of about their encounters with him and then also their past experiences that they brought into those encounters with him. It's a little bit about that, and then it's also a little bit about them kind of being in a position now where they are rethinking previous experiences that they've had and things that they've considered normal or hadn't thought about and are thinking about differently, including their experiences with him, but more broadly, their kind of whole life.
1: Yeah, I mean, each of their stories sort of starts with some sort of early memory about sex or men or relationships. There's so much me too like reporting and this story felt different to me and it seemed pretty consciously different and and I wondered sort of what the order of operations was for you and for this american life you see this story going on all over the country how do you guys approach doing your version of it
2: mm-hmm. we had been talking about some of the me too stories but i don't think this particular This didn't come from like a how do we do a different sort of story. I think what actually had happened was months, maybe a few months before the first Harvey Weinstein story, I had seen this episode of I Love Dick, which is a TV show by Jill Soloway. And there's it's about these different women who are all kind of obsessed with or connected to this asshole artist named Dick. And the episode in the middle breaks from the main plot and the four women And the show just kind of each one by one described the history of their sexual lives. And I found it totally arresting. Like it just... And there were very small moments. It was kind of like an accumulation of small moments next to each other that felt like it gave you this really special kind of portrait of a person and paid attention to experiences that I think I just hadn't thought to like pay that much attention to.
1: What's an example of that?
2: There's a moment in one of the women's stories where she talks about her mom and how close she was with her mom. And there's a moment where she's in the bathroom with her mom and she sees her mom's tampon string. And she just, they shoot it and you like see it. They see the girls notice it and she kind of like is a little detached and upset by that Mm -hmm. and offended. Like it's a violation of their relationship or something. And they don't like make, you know, they don't explain it like you're supposed to understand this from it. I just thought it was like so smart. Like it was such a tiny detail that was surrounded by like what happened all these moments before with her mom and all these moments after where she's kind of like pulling away from her mom yeah it was beautiful and I had that in mind and then in the first round of Harvey Weinstein's stories like the New York Times wrote their story and then Ronan Farrow wrote a story for the New Yorker and both I mean both of those stories and all the ones since like it's interesting to me the way that they are structured around these groups of women and that part of the way that the women are deployed in these stories is that they are kind of like evidence. They have these encounters that you line up next to each other and each one of them gets one. And as a whole, they add up to like some data that is supposed to be kind of like a portrait of Harvey Weinstein.
1: Is another way of putting that that like those stories are about the men?
2: They are about the men. And and for good reason. Like, I think that that's a totally valuable kind of story to write and I'm totally interested in them and I like reading them and I'm happy they exist. And you hear a little bit about the women in them. But yeah, they're not about the women. And they also make you hear the women's, even the single encounters of the women differently because they're kind of cushioned by all these other people. Like the way that they're actual reported stories, I think, makes you engage with any one individual story differently. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in the Ronan Farrow story, I noticed he's talking to a bunch of different women and then he does the section where he talks to Asia Argento, who is this Italian actress who describes being assaulted by Harvey Weinstein and then also describes having co- a consensual relationship with him and i was just like what <laughs> like <laughs> holy shit are we doing this now like is this the thing that we're we're now going to like talk about what it's actually like like you could imagine a version of that story where she just describes being assaulted by Harvey Weinstein right. and she's like and that's what happened and you would believe her and the fact that she included that she had had a relationship with him and you still read it, you still understood that she had been assaulted by Mm -hmm. him because she is surrounded by all of these other women who are describing patterns and they repeat. Like You understand that, that both of those things can be true.
1: Right, so in part what kind of got you to sit up in your chair was just that they had gone for the more complete and more complicated version of the story
2: yeah is that right yeah and also like that there was a tiny bit more of her story mm-hmm. in it which is yeah i think like i i felt like in also a bunch of the first person accounts of harvey Weinstein, you would see that more like there was more i remember lupita yeah yeah she had like i remember she describes being at a restaurant with him and ordering a juice and him telling her that she was gonna, she needed to have a vodka soda or something. And just the back and forth. Like, it's a pretty yeah. normal interaction, I think. But the way that she was understanding what it meant and noticed all these details about their interaction and which details she noticed and how she understood what it meant about him and what she should do with him next time he contacted her, it felt like you got that she was her own person with her own ideas about this kind of man or this kind of behavior.
1: All right, so you had this structure from, like, I Love Dick Mm -hmm. kicking around in your head, and then you start reading these stories and feeling like, um, aside from these rare glimpses, we're not totally getting a sort of, like, full picture of the women's version of these events and, and stories.
2: Yeah, and I felt like there was more, like, there was more to learn from these stories than just which men are bad and shouldn't have the Netflix special that they wanted to have. Like, and... I was interested also in that there were groups of women, and that somehow in in having a group of women, you would have variation of experience. Like there could be a kind of unifying person that they all experience, but that they could they would inevitably experience that person differently, and that that would raise the question of why. Yeah, and actually raise the question. Like I feel like there is a response. It's like why why did she stay, or why didn't she say fuck you, or I wouldn't have been upset by that like I wouldn't have been offended by that thing which I think is like somewhat a natural response but also like has a lack of curiosity about like there are actual answers to those questions that are interesting in the same way that like yeah like with police officer shootings like why didn't he just comply with the officer why didn't he you know why didn't he have his license or like I feel like those questions are asked in a way that don't actually have curiosity and I was interested in a structure that would push you toward being curious about the answers to those questions.
1: So what happens next? Like you have that idea. So, then. yeah,
2: so we had that idea. I think I started to reach out to different, like i started to look at a couple people that the EEOC had connected us to. I read a Rebecca Traster article where she said that women had been contacting her and that part of what was, Difficult about being a person who covered this now was that lots of people were reaching out to her and saying they had some story that they wanted to share. And she was in this like position of having to say, like, your dude is not famous enough to get coverage. And she had said in that article that gr- there were some groups of women who had already like connected with one another and were coming to her and ready to move forward. And so she sent an email. She sent a like r- email that I wrote to a bunch of different people. And that was how I got connected. With alternate, and I talked to, like, other people as well. And I think it was a while before we decided to do the alternate story. Like, I, I was mostly talking to other, like, individual women from different workplaces where there was the possibility of talking to more people that they had worked with, but they weren't kind of connected yet. And mm-hmm. I liked that the alternate women, there had been different groups of them that had worked at different times and knew each other and had kind of had the same conversations at different moments in time and talked about what do we do or just commiserated with one another. And then after Harvey Weinstein, there had been this kind of like growing group of like a Facebook group and an email group. And they were all kind of like sharing their experiences and being like, oh, I never knew what happened to that woman that right. I worked with that disappeared. Or, and I was interested in that. And actually, an earlier version of the show had much more of that stuff of like what it meant for them to be talking to each other and how it changed the way that they understood what their own experience had been. And then I also I remember there was a moment where we kind of like really decided to do that story where I had talked. So I had done like a bunch of pre interviews with people um, who had worked with Don over various points in time. And I had talked to Deanna, who's act one of the show, who had a relationship with him and also worked for him. And then I talked to another woman who was describing working at Alternate. It was like her first job, one of her first jobs. And being kind of like confused by the office and being like, it's a really casual office and that seems weird to me. And he's he's super moody and he was really mean. She felt like he was really mean to her and she was not sexually harassed by him. But she talked about being in that period of trying to figure out the office. And like, he would, he like bought pot from somebody in front of her. And she was like, I, you know, I don't give a shit if he smokes pot, but why not like close the door to your office? Like, it just seems strange to me. And then there was this other time where we were at this dinner. And she described being at this staff dinner after a bunch of meetings and seeing a woman sit next to him and cut his meat and being like, that's really weird. Like, that's actually weird. Like, I'm pretty sure that that one is weird. And it was a while into that conversation before I just thought to ask her who it was because I assumed it was not somebody I knew. And then I was like, "Who was that?" And she was like, "Oh, it was this woman named Deanna who I didn't know that well." And then I was really then I felt like, "Oh, that's so." It's like was exciting to me that they that they would have seen each other and observed each other and taken lessons from the way that they saw one another interacting with him
1: without the full context of each other's relationships. Right. Exactly. And what they'd been through.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I liked that there were. But it wasn't abstract. It wasn't like in the way that people had been talking up to that point of like, we're in this email group and it's just making me think in different ways about my own experiences with him. But it felt like this was like, oh, there's an actual scene where like we'll be able to talk to different people who were at that same place. Right. And they will be reading it differently and it'll be like really specific Mm -hmm. and intersect in a way that like was exciting. And I remember after that talking to Susan Burton and Robin Simeon, who I worked with on this show, and being like, I think, I think. This is going to be good.
1: I have some process questions just about how you make those choices. Like, so you're checking in with people the whole time, right? This this isn't like you go off into some like story abyss and Mm -hmm. have to figure out all these questions yourself. There are people at This American Life that you're like checking in with and talking it through. And once you guys have decided on which one you're going to go with, what are the conversations like with the people who you're like, yeah, we're we're not going to we're not going to do your story. The the other Mm -hmm. women that you had talked to. How do you how do you handle that?
2: I mean, I, sometimes that can be hard. It wasn't so hard in this particular situation because I hadn't gotten that far with anybody else. I mean, I hadn't even like with alternate. It had still been in the on the level of like we're just finding out more information. And I do really try hard to explain in the beginning, like because pre-interviews for me can be like pretty lengthy. But it's for me to figure out if it's like going to make sense for us. Mm-hmm. So. In this particular instance, it didn't feel like some of it was like I had talked to lawyers, but I hadn't talked to the woman yet. And one, there is one woman who I talked to. I think I still do want to do that story. So there weren't that many people who I felt like I had to say no to. Now, after the show, I am completely in the same like position that Rebecca Tracer was, which is in the position of having like many, many people write to me with their person who they think should be. Covered. And, and, how, and
1: how do you handle that? I don't
2: know. I don't know. I don't know. This is like totally new. I mean, yeah. So I have many that I haven't responded to yet. I don't, yeah. I mean, a lot of them, it feels like people just want to like share that with someone. And it's not, I mean, some people I think do really want like a public story about somebody, but a lot of the emails feel like they are people wanting to say like this thing happened, which, yeah, I can respond to that, but. <laughs>
1: How do you respond to that?
2: It sounds really hard, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. And, like, I mean, also to say that I'm getting that's not unusual. Like, there's lots and lots of people who are in the same position.
1: Hey, I'm going to put things on hold for a second to tell you about a sponsor making today's show possible. It's Credible.com. Student loans can completely wipe you out if you don't get a handle on them. How do you do that? Credible.com. It's an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. And using their simple platform, it takes you less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. You can save thousands By refinancing, all you have to do is visit Credible.com slash longform, answer a few quick questions, and right away you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates, from multiple lenders. Credible.com is completely free to use, and checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you have nothing to lose by going and seeing what is available to you. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. Think about what you could do with 19 grand. And for a limited time, our listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash longform. Pay off your student loans faster or lower your monthly payment. Whatever works for you. Go to Credible.com slash longform. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. And let's get back to Hana. All right. So you feel like you've got some scenes that are going to work you like the connections between these women you're like all right this is the one when is that in like the timeline how when did you make that decision
2: probably a week or two making calls to people i started doing interviews like recorded interviews in the middle of december yeah so it was probably early december
1: and so help me walk me through like what, what happens next you're spending hours and hours and hours talking to each of these women what what uh, what's the approach?
2: There were a few women who I knew I wanted to talk to, and so I booked interviews with them and talked with them. Uh, it took a while. Like, it took a while to figure out, just to figure out, like, what had happened with them and what their done stories were. And I talked to many, many, you know, I did many more, including recorded interviews, many more than are in the show. The thing that actually took a while was, like, figuring out Like, I could kind of cover in an interview what their experiences with Don had been. I didn't totally, it took me a while to figure out what their kind of, like, role in the show was. Mm -hmm. Like, that Tana would be the, the, like, cool girl who knew that she was going to be sexually harassed. And that that was kind of be, like, her role in her story on its own and then relative to the other women. Like, I had to kind of figure that out for each of them. Like, Kristen would be the person who was, like, had no questions about what the behavior was and didn't ever wonder and was never like asking questions about what he meant by various things and felt like she knew from the start. Like that took a while to figure out. And that I think mostly happened in the interviews. Like there would be a moment where I actually, I really remember Kristen's interview because she, it was like the, I think I had done an interview that morning and then I talked to her in the afternoon and we had been talking for a while. Like I think we were maybe like an hour three of our conversation, which felt like it was nearing the end. And I she said something about like i always knew it was wrong his behavior was wrong and i was like how did you know that it didn't seem obvious to everybody else and most of the other people i talked to it took a while for them to know that and she said oh i think because when i was raped it took me a while to figure out that's what it was and to call it that and then after that i was like not waiting to call something what it was um and i remember being like asking her i was like is that a thing that you want to talk about And she was like, sure, I don't have a problem talking about that. And I remember looking at the clock because I had to go, I had to relieve the babysitter and being like, okay, if we're going to talk about that, I just need to make a phone call. (laughs) Like say that I'm going to be late. So there was like, I feel like once I kind of like understood who they were as a person and also how they responded to Don and how that was different from other people or how that was kind of like seemed individual to them, there was usually some question that like led to something in their past that Mm -hmm. had shaped the way that they had experienced it
1: i'm interested in this balance between you have these ideas for structure and you have these kind of like key points in the story that you know are going to make for like a good hour of radio and balancing that with being curious and trying to figure out what actually happened like is there a tension between needing things to like fit into the like slots that you have allocated and then also where the story takes you, or can you help me like understand how that works? Is that an actual tension or am I just making that up?
2: I mean, a little bit. It wasn't in this case, we weren't sure that the I Love Dick model was gonna work. Like I think we had Susan and I had talked about that a lot and we had that in our minds as like a possible structure. And one that I was really excited about, like I, I was hoping would work. But I there was definitely a time where like a lot of the interviews were leading more in the direction of finding each other, like watching each other and then connecting with one another and learning like the moments of them learning about what was happening to each other were really interesting and dramatic. And it felt like, well, that's like we should include those because they're meaningful to them and also are kind of traditionally like interesting stories. And maybe we'd start with that of particularly there was like a moment where somebody Kristen knew told Deanna about what Kristen's experience was. And every part of it, like Kristen telling that woman was interesting. That woman also talked to Tana and her conversation with Tana was interesting. And all of that seemed like that might be more of the way to story. And the first, really the first draft was like two and a half hours long. And then we played it for Nancy Updike, who's a genius editor. And Nancy said, you have two different stories. Like you have a story, you have a story that is the more kind of traditional Me Too story that is them thinking about being harassed and being connected with one another and developing this network together and then you have this other more i love dick story and those who are competing and actually the more me too story is like gonna win like you have to really push against that if you don't want to do that story because every moment it's like you're pulled in that direction because you just expect to hear that So that was super helpful. And then I think the other place that that tension came up was like, I wasn't sure they all were going to have, like, I kind of knew at some point I knew the people who were going to be the the main focus of the story, but I wasn't sure that they all were going to have like a backstory that would actually be relevant to their experiences with Don, in particular Deanna, like Deanna and I spent a while talking because I think it took me longer to understand To understand the way she was interacting with him and like what was attractive to her about him, what she liked about herself with him. I we talked twice and I don't think the first time I I really had a strong sense of what that meant.
1: At what point do you reach out to Don?
2: I reached out to Don I think like early mid-December I did a bunch of pre-interviews and started doing interviews. And I think once I had a sense of what people were saying and what I was interested in about what they were saying, I reached out to him probably, I think it was like mid to late December. So a couple weeks after I had started looking into it and said, here is what people are saying. And here's what I'm interested about what they're saying and what I'm working on. And we would love to interview you. And here's why. He initially did want to talk with me. And we went back and forth. And then the BuzzFeed story, so this is all BuzzFeed wrote an article about Don Heisen right before Christmas and so this was all kind of around then and after the BuzzFeed article came out, Don resigned and still seemed like he was going to talk with me and we booked a studio for right after the Christmas break, like it was right after New Year's and he was going to go and then right before he cancelled and the reason that he gave was that the board of Alternet did not want him to do interviews and that he had agreed not to do interviews and that was kind of the first round and then I kept working on the story. And when I learned more things, I would reach out to him again and ask him again to interview with me. And then probably like two weeks before we broadcasted, once we had a really pretty good sense of everything that was in the show, we sent him, here are all the things that are in the show. And again, we still want to interview with you. And if you don't want to interview, at least we'd like you to respond to all of the points that people are making and all of the factual claims that are made. And he did not, we went back and forth on background a lot. The only things that he offered to say on the record were two very small things that were kind of outside of what he saw as his role at Alternate, because he felt like that was allowed within the agreement that he had with the board. And those were about Deanna, that he had told Deanna when they met that he was in a relationship with Vivian. And that his memory of Big Sur, the time that they spent at Big Sur was different. And those were the two things that he said on the record. And then he also when he talked to BuzzFeed, he did do an interview with BuzzFeed with Cora Lewis and some of what he responded to in that is stuff that's in the show. So we were able to use Mm -hmm. his responses to that, too. And everything that like was relevant that he had said on the record and responses in the show, like we included every single thing.
1: What was it like for you communicating with him while you were talking to all these women that he had harassed?
2: It was fine. It was fine. I mean, it was... I was reading, like, you know, he had written stuff, so I was reading stuff he had written. Like, that was actually more interesting than going back and forth with him about interviews and stuff. And, you know, I got to talk to Vivian, and Vivian, I felt like I learned more about him. I learned stuff about him... Through reading about him, like, learned stuff about him, meaning, like, the way that he was experiencing the world and his work and all of that. And then also through talking to her.
1: How did you get – Vivian is his partner. Mm -hmm. How did you – how did you get her to talk to you? Why do you think she talked to you?
2: She reached out to me. I was going to reach out to her. I remember, like, thinking about how I was going to reach out to her. And then she reached out to me early. Like, I had – an initial round of requesting an interview from Don and explaining what we were doing and I had sent him kind of a long thing that I sent to a bunch of the women too saying here's what I'm interested in and he wrote me back and then he included a response from her and said my partner Vivian would like to talk and she, she wanted to talk because I think she felt like she said in the email she was in a position that was not often heard from and was often silenced and she did not want to be silenced and she had things to say And also that she had been thinking about her relationships, not just with Don, but over time with a bunch of different people and particularly with women and the way that she had interacted with women over her working life. And I think she wanted to be a character witness for him. Like I think all of those, I don't think she said that in the initial email, but I think those were, yeah, I think that's why she wanted to talk.
1: When did you realize or decide that you would start with her?
2: Late, like I, the top of the show was so hard to write. And I think I had written I had written many, many different versions of it. And she was at the end, like where she is. So in the podcast version of the show, she is the last act. And some of the stuff that is in the top of the show was just happening at the bottom at the end. Um, I played it for my friend, Rebecca. Who is so smart and just like thoughtful about stories and also about these particular questions that are in this show. And she I think she suggested she was like the cupcakes is a thing that is happening throughout the show. Like she is expressing most clearly the thing that is happening throughout the show that women are going back to like particular moments and reconsidering them.
1: Just so uh, for people listening, like the show starts with her talking about being in an office Mm -hmm. decades ago.
2: Yeah. So she describes like one of the first things she thought about when she heard some of the women who were accusing him of sexual harassment was like this very specific memory that she had from when she was 28. And that had to do with being a young trainee psychologist and watching a supervisor interact with these young women and watching the young women interact with him and that somebody called them the women cupcakes and she thought that was like such a perfect word. And that this was the thing she was thinking about now, that she was sort of reassessing the way that she had engaged and also like the idea that it was possible to kind of like remove yourself from that dynamic, that that dynamic could exist outside of her. And I always loved that she went to that memory I couldn't totally picture it at the beginning at first, but it does, yeah, it does feel like it is a, it is a thing that is repeated. The other thing Vivian said, which I thought was, I mean, I actually wanted to call the show this. She says, when she learned about Don's affair, she felt like she needed to understand where he was and how he was feeling and how he made sense of it. And because she needed to make sense of it. She's a psychologist, so she was like found herself playing shrink, but not for him, but for herself. And I was like, why did you feel like you needed to make sense of it? And she said, because I needed to be a person with a history that was coherent. I felt like that's the thing that, that everybody is kind of doing, is like trying to be a person with a history that is coherent.
1: Mm-hmm. That conversation feels different than the one that you have with the other women in the show. And at the end, Vivian says there's a 99.9% chance that she and Don are going to make it through this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, as a listener is an incredibly, like, jarring moment. I was really surprised. Did she feel to you like one of his victims?
2: No. No. But, I mean, in a way, like, none of them felt to me primarily like his victims. Like, they felt like the things that they were talking about were their own choices that they had made, and... The way they had negotiated him doesn't say like it wouldn't be wrong if they felt like they wanted to talk about themselves as his victims. I don't think I was thinking about them as like this is a story about his victims. And she is really against being considered a victim and sort of opposed to the idea of woman as victim in general. Um, So, no, I don't think I think because of those things, like I didn't think of her that way. And I remember I asked her if she felt joined with the other women, like was there a part of her that was like felt joined with the other women and she said no, like she was very definitive. She was like in empathy, yes, but I feel like my violation was personal and theirs wasn't. Like I have a different relationship with him.
1: So he made those couple of points on the record Mm -hmm. and they all come at the end Mm -hmm. of the story. Can you just walk me through that choice too? Like why have him not pop up earlier or be able to offer his side in the moment as you're telling those stories like why why put his comments at the end
2: because he didn't interview with us i mean i think if he had gone on the record and responded to the things that people were saying i don't know what the structure, how it would have changed the structure of the show but he didn't respond to most of the things in the show. And also it was important to me that he that it be mentioned at the top of the show that he did not do an interview with us like that is in the very beginning of the show so that you are both just in fairness to him like the thing that you are about to hear is not his perspective like his perspective we do not have and you will not be hearing. But also to say again like he's not the protagonist of the story. And so that was in the beginning and then I think we didn't have that much from him. Mm-hmm. Responding to the things that women were saying throughout,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess just like narratively, there is one of the most kind of vivid and upsetting scenes is with him and Deanna and Big Sur, and in Deanna's story, he tells her that he has a sexually transmitted infection, still tries to have sex with her, and he disputes that. And in, in the narrative, as a as a listener, it's presented as what happened. When she's telling the story, and then kind of gets refuted at the end, I guess that's maybe what I'm actually asking. He doesn't about.
2: refute. I mean, he does not refute the specific things that she says. He says his memory of it is different. Um, but yeah, I, th- I we but was something we thought about a lot and considered a lot, and the all of the moments like that in the show that are like intimate moments, we took the choice to include them really seriously.
1: How do you fact check that stuff?
2: The fact checking was, uh, I mean, in all the normal ways, like we talked to people who they talked to at the time or people who witnessed some of these things or people who they told right after. We also looked at lots of instant message chats and emails and stuff. There actually was like quite a lot of instant messaging about a lot of the stuff that's in the show. There's like medical records that we looked at. Like there's all of those things. One of the things that was really interesting about fact checking it was or just reporting it and then going through the fact checking process was like so much of the show is how people responded to things and how they felt about them. Like in the scene where he shows Kristen a photograph. Kristen is one of the women. She walks into a coffee shop and he's looking at his laptop and he says there's a woman who looks just like you and shows her this picture of this woman. And. So Kristen told a bunch of people about that, but including one woman who was there at the time. So I talked to another alternate staffer who was there at the time to corroborate what happened. But, you know, so we go through the like, was she in this place and what did she say to you and what happened? and What did you see? But then also, like, what did she seem like? Like, how did she seem? Because somebody could that could happen to somebody else. And they would be like, whatever, Mm -hmm. like, that's his shit or like, I don't give a shit or like they could not be upset by it in the way that she was upset by it. And so the, hearing that woman be like, oh, she seemed really shaken, and I'd never seen her seem that way. And, like, that wasn't something—I don't think I had fact-checked people's feelings as much <laughs> <Right>. before.
1: <laughs> what impact do you think it had on the story that, that these women were all journalists and had worked in the media? And what impact do you think that had, that, that these were people who tell stories and report?
2: In terms of the way people hear it or in terms of the what they said? Both? I don't know if it affects the way people— hear the story. Um, I mean, I when we were like kind of selecting who we wanted to focus on, like it's a rarefied world and I wasn't sure that it was like a world I wanted to to focus on. But then I kind of felt like I made some decision at some point, like I'm going to embrace this. Like this is what this is. And it is a particular world and it's like fine. And it's it's helpful to have a specific particular world. I think the fact that they... I don't know if this is their journalist, although I'm sure it's part of it. Like they had talked to each other a lot about him and also had talked with each other, with other people about their previous experiences. Like they had like made some narrative out of it already. And that felt like there was stuff that they talked about that I just I don't know that I would have thought to pay attention to to be able to express to someone else. Like I remember interviewing Anisha, who is. The woman who's the hypnotizer, she's at the pool and these boys are talking about the hypnotizer and she realizes it's her. And the way she described like that experience, like I have had exactly that experience. I I guess I had like remembered that it happened, but I hadn't really like spent the time to be like, what did I do with that? Like, what did I do with that experience later? And she had like she had thought about it. She was writing about it. I mean, that also I think, yeah, she was writing about it. She would spent the time to figure out what it meant to her. So I think in that way, yeah, they were kind of like already had done some of the work to figure out what these things meant to them.
1: They'd been processing it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But then it seems like you drew a whole bunch of, were able to draw a whole bunch of sort of connections that they hadn't seen yet.
2: Sometimes, but sometimes they had. I mean, like Anisha, I don't know that she would have like highlighted her interaction with Don about getting a raise, like that was a thing I was interested in, but I, yeah, I think she immediately was like, like, I mean, I think in my like questions to her about like, wouldn't you have gotten a raise if you had just said that you needed more money for your rent, which you probably also did, right? Like, isn't that what you needed money for? She had thought about like what that dynamic meant, what was happening that what her version of that dynamic meant and what she understood about the way that he was trying to interact with her and had connected it like in some way to her relationship with her sexuality in general, like, so I don't, yeah, I don't know that she would have been like this moment in this moment, like this one at the pool and then this one with my boss, but she already felt like she was making the connection between those two
1: things. So you had your like two and a half hour version with these two kind of competing mm-hmm. stories, the kind of like traditional Me Too story and the I Love Dick version. And Nancy Updike tells you to pick one. It sounds like you pick the I Love Dick version. Mm-hmm. You've done all of these interviews. You've got, I assume, like hours and hours of tape. When did you feel like you had it? When When is the point in in a project of this scope that you feel like this is it?
2: I like never get to that moment. I don't have that moment. I always feel like I'm not sure.
1: You felt that way like up till the end.
2: When we When we played it, like we did of a bunch of edits and i think by like the second edit that people were like this is good i was like okay it's good it's working (laughs) and there are parts of it that like i can tell when i'm reading it feel good and make sense and but i felt worried about it like i still feel worried about it in
1: in a way that you that feels different than how you normally feel about stories um
2: not really no i just feel like all of the parts of my like i i love almost all the parts i love the like interviewing and reporting and I love researching and I love talking to people about story and I love thinking about structure and I love writing. I love all of those parts of the job and they feel very much like me. I think the like last part of like putting something out into the world and seeing other people interact with it and pay attention to it and pay attention to me like that does not feel like me. Like I've just never worn that very comfortably. Why? I think it's partly like the power of being able to like say a thing about another person like that feels uncomfortable to me um it feels like an uncomfortable amount of power even when I feel like what I'm saying is true I don't and it's like I'm control I think it's also like I'm controlling like I'm super controlling about my stories and then they're out there and then people like I don't have control like people interact with them However, they're going to interact with them. Which is not to say, like, I let, you know, it's amazing that people are excited and, and listening and talking about it. In some ways, also, like, I'm not hearing what in edits you hear, what people are responding to and what their questions are and what it makes them think about. I haven't had that experience when something like goes out in the world that's sort of just like people are tweeting it or they're not. Or like, I have heard people say, like, people I know say, like, I had this interesting conversation with my you know brother about this or whatever and then I'm like I'm really interested like I want to know everything about what that conversation was and how people are hearing it and thinking about it and but I don't get that much of that like mostly it's just sort of like general attention
1: <laughs> <laughs> which which you could sort of do without
2: yeah it's not for me
1: can we talk a little bit about um, like narration and tracking Sure. <laughs> I have some technical questions Um, It has always been a thing that I've admired about um, your work, but this one in particular felt just really well done. And what is your actual like technical process from going from like writing to what I heard on the podcast?
2: I write a script. Usually what I do is I, I mean, I cut all the tape first, so I don't write anything before I cut all the tape. I cut all the tape. I line up the tape in the structure that I think might work. It's usually, like, way, way longer and has way more material than I I even know will be in it. But I need to kind of, like, see it that way. And then usually there's, like, a bunch of whittling down from there before I still have not written anything. So I have, you know, if it's an hour of material, like, it'll come down to a half an hour. So I'm always writing around the quotes. Like, I'm never... The idea of like writing on a blank page is like totally terrifying to me. I don't know how I would structure anything. So it's always structured around things people are saying. And And then I'm writing from one piece of tape to the next piece of tape and sometimes putting in ideas that I'm interested in. And then I go through again. Like there's a lot of like iterations of just I'll write it and then I'll like play through that for myself. And then that will become obvious where things are too long or not working and move things around.
1: You really sound like yourself on the show. That's good. And I wonder how um, how you do that. seems hard. Like I've tried to read scripts mm-hmm. in front of microphones. I sound like an asshole. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I might sound like a little bit of an Everybody asshole. Does. Everybody does. But you sound like yourself. You do not sound like an asshole. You sound like you have today to me. Yeah. How do you do that?
2: I think that a really large part of that is writing. Like I think writing for my own voice helps me be able to read something that sounds like myself, which I also know from producing people like... When producing people at This American Life means oftentimes like you're collaboratively working on a script and sometimes I'm writing a line in, and sometimes the contributor is writing stuff in and you get in the studio and they like can't read the thing that you wrote for them. So I write and I read out loud. Everything I write, I say out loud. So like often as I'm typing, I'm saying it out loud so that it is I know it is something that I would say and in the way that I would say it so that was a bit like my tracking was terrible for a long time like I remember being at a station in Seattle where I started doing radio and like that being the biggest problem for the director who ran the station and everybody saying like just imagine your best friend is in the room and just imagine that you're talking to your best friend which never fucking helped me at all
1: um, <laughs> what was bad about it what it was just it
2: sti- all the things that are normally bad like it was stiff and I sounded like I was reading and I sounded sing Y like yeah like I wasn't myself I think a big thing was writing.
1: Just writing in your own voice.
2: I think writing in your own voice, writing in a conversational way, writing things that you're interested in and that you believe, like, in some ways, you know, it's hard to, like, read something that's supposed to sound like a billboard to a show and be exciting if you don't actually feel excited about it. I also, like, I mean, I pay attention to the way that I talk about the stories. Like, I pay attention. I talk a lot. I have, like lots of people who I talk to about what was interesting to me about this interview or what I'm thinking about and I pay attention to the way that I describe that and the points that I highlight from those conversations and what kind of hits the other person. And what hits you. And mostly what hits me. I mean, what you're talking about is the thing that hits you. So, like, paying attention to the parts that you are sharing Mm -hmm. is, like, almost always the most interesting parts of the interview.
1: Is your tracking on five women is it um, like word for word what was in the script do you ad lib it at all
2: there's very little ad libbing there's a little bit like sometimes often because like the thing that is written is not something that I can say like it came from an edit where we needed to like change the wording a little bit and I just can't say it Um, so I'll change stuff like that or I'll like reorganize sentences and I definitely have done that a lot with like producing people like being in the studio and just being like just don't say it that way say it some other way what way would you say it
1: I have some more questions about you. This is gonna be this is gonna be fun for you. Great, I think. Okay. I talked to Deanna yesterday for a while about like what you were like in those interviews, mm-hmm. and she kept saying the same thing over and over again, which is was that it felt like therapy, and she said she actually like went to her therapist. After one of these like marathon six hour interviews with you, and walked in and was like, I got, I have nothing to talk about. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> I already got mine.
1: Yeah, like I'm good. I'm, not, I'm like tapped out. But this other thing she said to me was that uh, she felt like she didn't know a single thing about you. Mm-hmm. Like you had spent all of this time talking, and she didn't know anything about you at all, except that you had kids. Because one time you like <laughs> I were had to like, leave. you had to leave. Yeah, that was it. That yeah. was all she knew. Yeah, it is um. Is that how it always is with you or is it different for this one?
2: I don't know. Like, I don't. Deanna said that to me. Like, I know that she felt that way. I definitely, lots of people say it feels like therapy, which always, like, it feels wrong to me because I am, like, I don't have the goal that a therapist has in those conversations. So every time she said that, I was like, but I'm not, I'm not, like, I don't, I'm not trying to help you, like, figure this thing out or I don't, I have a different goal here. I don't know if people find me like that they don't know anything about me. I do think I am pretty good at like I'm interested in them. Like I'm not that I'm not interested in talking about myself. So I am interested in talking about myself if it's like if it's related to what they're saying. But I think I am, you know, I just saw a friend, my college roommate last week and lunch ended and she was like, I don't know anything about you. What's going on with you? (laughs) Like that's not that's a familiar experience for me.
1: Well, it's true. I mean, part of the reason I brought it up now is just that you were just saying about that story from the pool and how you remembered having that experience. Yeah. And a thing I found myself wondering while I was listening to it and then after talking to Deanna too was just how personal this was for you or whether there was some question for yourself that you were trying to figure out with mm-hmm. this story or whether it was just trying to tell a thing that didn't have anything to do with you.
2: No, no, no. It has to do with me. Like I don't, I do think with, Deanna, maybe more than with the other women, like there weren't that many moments where I was like, I have a thing to bring up that I've already thought about, like related to this content that I think is interesting or relevant. I do feel like with more with some of the other interviews I did, like it reminded me of things in my own experience. And I definitely related like I related to every single one of the five and the many other people I talked to in different ways it made me more feel like I hadn't, it was stuff that I just hadn't paid that much attention. Like I've thought, I, you know, I'm interested in like power dynamics and how they play out in like small ways and big ways. And I think in general, like in most of my stories, I'm interested in that and I'm interested in that in my life. But I hadn't, there were like insights that they had that I hadn't thought about, like in each one. I mean, with Anasia, like the way that she talked about separating from her body or separating from her like sexual self was like not a thing I had really thought about but I was like oh I totally do do that Mm -hmm. and with Tana like part of figuring out what their stories meant was in some ways like trying to relate to them or trying to understand the thing that they were saying I remember with Tana she and I did an interview but I think I sort of didn't totally understand like, hear the thing that she was saying. And I remember talking to my friend Yvonne about um, some of like the other Me Too stories and just like older men. And she said something like, Didn't you ever have like older men like that who are, who you thought of as like so impossible that you would ever consider them sexual that you're assuming that they weren't thinking about you that way because they seemed so like kind of old and, it seemed like such a pathetic idea that you would even have a sexual relationship. And it just like immediately I was like, oh, my God, so many. Like I was like scrolling through <laughs> all these men. that like it's not like I hadn't thought about them, but I hadn't thought about them that way. I had just thought about them as like that was like a weird boss at like Rita's Water Race who like locked the door and wouldn't let me leave. I just thought, I oh, know, he's like weird and pow- he just wanted to have power over me or something. It just, like, made me think differently and it totally helped me think in thinking about Tana because I was like, that's the thing that Tana was doing is she was like, these dudes are old and, like, I feel for them. Like, I feel bad for them that I don't see them the way that they want to be seen by me. Um, and that was, like, a response that I don't think I could have, like, detailed. Like, I knew it, but I don't think I would have had the vocabulary to describe it. In the same way that, like, Chris, when Kristen talked about, like, somebody trying to, like, impose their sexuality on you. um, I don't think I would have been able to, like, describe that thing, but it was familiar to me. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you feel like, for your own experience, this has been clarifying?
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, in those ways. Like, it, it definitely... I think it it's like I feel like I understand things that happened better than I did before. It didn't feel like there were like a couple of people who asked me when I was working on it if it was like getting under my skin. Like it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like I am being personally affected in like a deep way by this other than like I'm affected by other people's stories. I did I mean I felt that way, but then I also remember like one of the somebody who edited the show when kristen talks about her revenge fantasies about don they were like oh that's just like nine to five which i had not seen and i was like oh really is it just like the movie like she's describing the movie and then i remember listening to nine to five and just be it was like so joyful to hear nine to five <laughs> like in a way that i was like i am so moved by this song why am i so moved by the song and i was like fucking idiot because you've been like doing all these interviews like we're yeah. i spent hours and hours hearing people's like shitty workplace experiences. Like, it it got to me. I don't know that I was, like, fully aware the way that it got to me.
1: Is there anything else that, um, that doing this kind of, like, brought up for you or taught you or made you think differently about?
2: I feel like the thing that is happening narratively in the show is something I have been trying to do for a while. And it, it feels exciting to see that that can work. And that's mostly, like, I've felt... I have felt like the limitations of the medium in being really focused on personal story. And I don't, I think partly it's just like I've done a lot of that and so I'm like looking for like other things to do with it. But also like I'm interested in people existing within a larger context or a larger system or something and have been trying to figure out like how to use the medium to do that. And in particular like doing something where stories are intersecting. has been like something I've been interested in
1: for a while. Like not a single protagonist.
2: Not a single protagonist, making it feel like a person exists within a larger context. Like the experience that they are having is, is shaped by lots of things outside of them and has a history, like especially feeling like people have a history or there is a history to this particular environment or mm-hmm. whatever. As something I feel like I keep trying to find, like, a narrative structure to address and to support. And so that I feel like I am, it feels exciting that there was this possibility and this was, like, the right story for it or something. Like, I don't think this would, it didn't, I tried it with other stories and, like, has not worked. So I think I am taking that. I think I am, like, excited at the potential of thinking about other kinds of story structures that make possible other kinds of stories.
1: The other thing that Deanna said to me was that she felt very clearly the whole time that you were working on this story and talking to her and talking to all these other women that you were kind of holding these two things in your hands all the time. And and one was it was crucial and absolutely um, the most important thing to tell the best story you could. And also she felt like it was, um, crucial and absolutely the most important thing that you be compassionate to them and let their stories, uh, be heard and let them be heard fully and accurately. And I talked to her for a little while about whether or not those things are in competition or contrast with each other at all. And I wonder if you think they are.
2: No, I don't. I feel like the stories are interesting if they're, like, true and real and complicated. And, like, the more complicated they are, the more interesting they are.
1: Hannah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Sensky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Janelle Pfeiffer, and our intern is Angela Velez. Thanks to them. Thanks to our friends at MailChimp, who continue to make this show possible. And thanks so much to Hanna Jaffe-Walt for uh, coming in and taking some time. Someday I'll have Hannah back on. We can talk all about her other work for This American Life, how she got there, how she figured out how to do all of this. But uh, for this week, I just wanted to spend as much time as I could talking about this piece, Five Women. It was an honor. See you next week.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it.